0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. We're continuing a series that we started last weekend called Questions Jesus Asked. And we're just walking through some of the questions that Jesus posed to his followers. And Jesus didn't ask these questions because he didn't know the answer. He wasn't curious about things. He was asking questions for a reason. And I think one of the reasons it's important for us that we answer these questions, it's important for us to know where we stand in these questions, but it's also important for us to communicate these verbally, for, these, for us to answer these questions for ourselves so we know where we're at. It, it awakens something in us, it stirs something up in us, so it helps us understand where we are at in relation to these questions Jesus is asking. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be walking through these questions together. And, And I'll be honest with you, the question that we're going to look at today, it was scheduled for, I think, three weeks from now. And because of Uh, some things that are going on in our world because of just some things I felt in my own spirit. I thought, you know what, let's bump this up and let's talk about this today. So we're going to start in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And in this passage, what we see is uh, leading up to this, Jesus had done some incredible miracles, some big things. I mean, Uh, healings and all kinds of different stuff was going on in his ministry. There was lots of momentum, lots of excitement around his ministry, lots of enthusiasm. His disciples had been with him, they had seen him do these incredible things. And then we get to verse 35 of Mark chapter four, and it says this. On that day, when evening had come, Jesus said to his followers, to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they awoke him and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still, and the wind ceased, and there was a great calm, and he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So the question we're gonna look at today is why are you so afraid? If you've watched the news for one minute, you will know that there's reason to be afraid in our world, isn't there? It's coronavirus, right? (laughs) I wish... (laughs) I don't want to make light of this because I know people, I know that there have been people who have died. I get it. But the the amount of fervor around coronavirus has been shocking to me. And I don't know why I'm shocked because it seems like every few years there's a new virus that is going to kill us all, like swine flu or bird flu or whatever it is. And it's amazing how... Uh, And I don't mean to editorialize, but I guess I am. It's amazing how we as believers fall right into line with the world in their hysteria. Whereas we should set the tone for faith and trust and hope. But so many times believers are the ones who are stirring up the anxiety about what's going to happen, how's this gonna look. So when the media tells us you should be afraid because coronavirus is coming, we freak out. Now again, I'm not rooting for us to get sick. That's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is we need to look at it in the proper light. So let me say this too, wash your hands, <laughs> cough into your elbow, do that kind of stuff. How about that, right? But let's not freak out about what may or may not even happen. Let's just trust God in spite of it. So let's take coronavirus off the table. Let's forget about that. Um, how about terrorism? There's reason to be afraid of terrorism, right? There's reason to be afraid of the world economy and trade wars with China or with Mexico or Canada or whoever it might be. The stock market is up and down, and so that might make you a little nervous about your retirement or your 401K or the money you've invested. If we're gonna be honest, something big's happening in November of this year. Did you feel the tension in the room just then, when everybody, oh no, oh no. Okay, hang on, here we go, right? Don't worry, don't worry, we're not gonna go there. Have you seen any political ads? That is like a master's course in fear-mongering, right? It's like, hey, if you vote for my opponent, you're voting to get rid of babies and old people and dogs, because that's who they hate. So if you hate old, baby, uh, old people and babies and dogs and old babies, <laughs> then vote for my opponent. They might be the devil. And then there's a picture at the end, like, you know, all smiling. And it's not quite like that, but it kind of is, right? And what they're saying is, hey, you better not let this person get elected because they're going to mess up your life. It's going to be horrible and you've got reason to be afraid. And what are they doing? They're playing on your fears. So the world is full of It's full of being afraid. It's full of these moments. And so when Jesus asks the question to his followers, why are you so afraid? It seems like one of the most duh moments in scripture, doesn't it? Why are you so afraid? Why are we so afraid? The boat is sinking, Jesus. Like, do you not see what's going on here? And so if Jesus was here today and he was asking you the question, why are you so afraid? Some of us would respond the same way. Jesus, Coronavirus, sickness, disease, famine, all these things, there's reason to be afraid. But I believe the question is still important for us anyway. So if you take notes, you can write these down. If you follow along on the Uversion Bible app, on the events tab, if you go to that on the Uversion app, you're gonna find a summit live event and you can follow along on our notes there. But there's a couple things I wanna point out about our fear. And so the first thing I would say is this, in our fear, We focus on what Jesus is not doing. See, what the disciples did is, I want you to understand this. These were were veteran sailors. These were not people that had never been on the sea before. These were guys who had spent much of their life on the sea. They'd experienced storms. They'd probably even experienced moments where they thought they might not make it. But in this moment, for some reason, it seemed especially bad. And when they went to Jesus, they said to Jesus, don't you even care that we're about to perish? Don't you even care that we're about to die here? And these were guys who'd experienced rough seas before. But in that moment they said, you know what? We are dying here and you are asleep in the boat. What are you doing? Do you not even care? And if we're gonna be honest, we haven't changed a whole lot in 2000 years. Because we are people who are accustomed to rough seas. We've been through some difficult things in our lives. But yet, when difficulty comes, when trials come, when when the water seems to be lapping over the side of the boat, when it feels like the boat is sinking, we look at Jesus and we go, don't you even care that I'm dying here? Don't you even care that my marriage is in trouble? Don't you care that I got laid off? Don't you care that I'm having financial problems? Don't you care that my kids are far from you? You're not doing anything about this. You're sleeping the boat. Now, we're not supposed to say stuff like this, but this is how we feel, and this is reality. And this is where the disciples were. They're saying, I don't see you doing anything. It seems like you don't even care about this situation. So why aren't you working? Why aren't you doing something? And we do the exact same thing. Because we misjudge the heart of God in crisis. When we're in crisis and we don't see God doing what he may be doing, we immediately believe that he is ambivalent toward us, that he doesn't care about us, that all the stuff that Mel has said from stage or that one of our pastors has said or the stuff we read in scripture, maybe it's not true after all. Because if God really loved us, he would be doing something with us. As the disciples are bailing water out of the boat, if Jesus loved us, he'd be bailing water with us. But we don't see him doing that. He's asleep in the boat. And what are we doing? We're focusing on what he's not doing in our fear. I was gonna share a video with you this morning, but I thought some of you might be squeamish, so I didn't. Um, I saw a video uh, two weeks ago. There was a woman in, in Great Britain who was diagnosed, you might have seen this video online. This woman was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And she is a concert violinist. And she was concerned that the surgery to remove the tumor would impede her ability to play the violin. It would cause her to lose her fine motor skills. And so their solution, and this is an incredible video, Google it when you get home, not now. Because your phone's gonna be unmuted and you're gonna start playing. It's gonna be awkward because the video, will come on, you'll be tapping it. and So watch it later on your way home. <laughs> and in the video, it's, it's this woman laying on the surgery, on the surgical table. She's playing the violin and her head, she's got a tarp around her head and they are performing brain surgery on her while she is playing the violin. It's pretty incredible. She's playing... Um, progressions and chords and just different things because they're making sure that we're not doing anything that's gonna cause her any problems. But she's laying on the table, eyes closed, playing the violin, she's just doing her thing while the surgeons are going in and removing the tumor and helping restore health to her body. And so many times in our lives, we're doing our thing, we're living our lives. And we don't see activity on the part of God. And we go, God, you must be absent. You must not care. You must not love me. Because if you did, I would see you working. In the meantime, God is working in us. He's removing that tumor. He's removing the unhealth. He's bringing restoration to our body, to our situation. But we don't even see it. So we mistake what we don't see with ambivalence. That he doesn't love us or care about us. But in the meantime, he's working on our behalf. He's doing something we don't even see him doing. He's working in us and through us. So in our fear, sometimes we focus on what God is not doing or what Jesus is not doing. The second thing is this. In our fear, we focus on ourselves. See, in crisis, we tend to to focus on what's going on with me, what's going on in my life. Even, Even in situations where someone else is impacted, it's easy to go, well, how does this impact me? How does this change my situation? In your workplace, if you think about this, if somebody's laid off, the first thing you do is think, how does this impact me, right? I've said this before, if you ever look at a group photo, the first person you look at is you. It's because we're all selfish, right? We're all a little bit narcissistic, right? That's how we are, that's how we're wired. Nobody had to teach their kid, I've never heard a parent say, hey watch this, Mel, come see this, I've been teaching my child a new word, ready? Mine, you say mine, mine. I'm so proud of her, she said it, right? Go. No. do you know why? Because they learned that one on their own. Nobody has to teach them how to say mine. They know it. I think they're born with the ability to say mine. Everything else they have to learn, right? And there's a tone kids can say when they say mine that's especially irritating. It's like, like grates on you just a little bit. Mine, oh. You know what's funny is a lot of us don't grow out of that. Mine, mine. We are naturally selfish. And what happens is we we come to relationship with Christ and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, begins to marginalize uh, the, 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 the flesh in us, begins to muscle that out, begins to push it aside, and the old becomes new. But what happens is in fear, in crisis, in trouble, in problems, all these situations, we begin to revert back to what we know and what we're comfortable with, and what we're comfortable with is selfishness. What we're comfortable with is putting ourselves above others, and this is what happens when we are gripped by fear, we focus on ourselves. And even in this passage of scripture, I don't know if you notice this, in Mark chapter four, verse 36, and it says, and other boats were with him. But you know what the disciples did not say? Jesus, wake up, all these people on all these other boats are gonna die if you don't do something, right? What did he say? We will perish. I'm gonna die here if you don't do something, right? Why? Because in our fear, we're not concerned about the other people, we're concerned about us. And that is not a godly response to fear, but that's a natural response to fear. I read this story a few weeks ago on February 25th, 1852, there was a British troop ship called the HMS Birkenhead that had set sail. It was carrying about 600 passengers along the uh, South African coast to to a battle. And there were 56 people on board that were women and children. They were family members of the officers that were on board. And they were traveling with them as well. And there were crew members as well, in addition to the soldiers. And early in the morning on the 25th, Uh, as they were coming around um, a a place called Danger Point along the South African coast, they ran aground to this coral reef. And when they hit this reef, um, it tore a hole in the ship. And the captain decided the best thing to do would be to reverse off of this reef. And when he did, it actually tore a bigger hole in the hull. And so water began to flood in and before you know it, Men who were already dying in their hammocks below deck, Uh, they were trapped and they were drowned in the water that was flooding into their ship. So they mobilized as quickly as they could and they got the women and children into the lifeboats with a few crew members to row them away from the, the, the Birkenhead as it was descending into the water. And they've got the, the crew assembled on the deck, and the captain says to the crew, he realizes all is lost at this point, and he, uh, he orders abandoned ship, every man for himself at this point. And there was another officer on board. He was a lieutenant colonel by the name of Seaton. Lieutenant Colonel Seaton stopped them, because he knew this, he knew that the waters that their boat was in was infested with great white sharks. And he knew that as these men get into the water, what's gonna inevitably happen is they're going to overwhelm the lifeboats. And not only will these men lose their life, but also the women and children and the crewmen that are paddling these boats are all gonna lose their lives as well because these boats are gonna be overwhelmed. And so in this moment, in this moment of fear, in this moment of crisis, this man made a decision and he said, hold your places, stand firm, don't abandon ship. And that day, 400 men lost their lives because they stayed on the deck, but every one of the lifeboats made it. Because one man said, I'm not going to give in to my fear. I'm not going to uh, worry about every man for himself, but we're going to make sure that the people in the lifeboats make it, even if it costs us our lives. Because what naturally happens for us is we say every man for himself. But in that moment, I'm thankful for a man who said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. In fact, what we see is the legend of the Birkenhead Drill was born that day. And the Birkenhead Drill in maritime circles is what we call women and children first. Why? Because one man said, I'm not gonna do what's natural. I'm gonna gonna make sure what we're doing is best for the people around us and not just for us. Did he wanna stay on that boat as it sank? Absolutely not. I can't imagine that he wanted to, but he knew it was the best thing to do in light of the people around him. So what I'm telling you today is when you're in the midst of fear, when you're gripped by it, you have to say, I'm not gonna focus simply on myself, I'm gonna focus on the people around me as well. Final thing is this, in our fear, we focus on now. In our fear, we focus on now. It's amazing in our fear how we can't see beyond the moment. I can't imagine that the disciples in the boat as it was taking on water, as it seemed to be sinking, can you imagine they're bailing water it's like, hey Peter, what, you wanna watch the game tomorrow? We can get together at my place. Sounds good, right, what are we doing for dinner tonight, right? I can imagine, and this is extra biblical, I'm not, I'm not taking this from the Greek, I'm imagining this, okay? I'm imagining this conversation probably didn't happen. And the reason was, because they weren't worried about where they were gonna get dinner when they got to the other side. They weren't worried about, are you gonna get together tomorrow? What's gonna happen day after tomorrow? Because in our fear, we can't see past the now many times. We see what's right in front of us. We see the calamity, the chaos, the pain, the hurt, the loss, whatever it is, up close and personal. And in that moment, we can't see beyond the now. In Mark chapter four, verse 40, he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? It's interesting that, that Jesus asked them, have you still no faith? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And if you just look at Mark, the gospel of Mark, it's easy to put this together and go, well, yeah, he's, he's asking if they had faith and they wouldn't be afraid that they were going to die. But if you look at the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, Matthew tells the story a little differently, and he says, and they went and woke him, saying, save us, Lord, we are perishing. Now, this is the thing that's interesting to me. In the Gospel of Matthew, same situation, everything's going, and they go to Jesus, and they say, save us, for we're perishing. We're dying, so can you save us? Can you rescue us? Now, this is the thing. There's a level of faith that comes with being able to say, Jesus, I'm, I'm, sinking here I'm struggling things are going badly can you save me and that's important and many of us have experienced this kind of faith right we're we're dealing with a difficult situation A, a, a huge bill comes our way that we weren't expecting and that we can't pay and that's when we go oh Jesus I need your help a uh, situation in our relationship comes up. A situation at work comes up. Whatever it may be, at school, we're trying to figure out how, how is this going to turn out, and this looks like a mess, and we go, Jesus, you got to save me. Jesus, I need your help here. So there's a level of faith that comes there. So it's, it's interesting to me that Jesus would, would ask the question, have you still no faith, when it's clear that they do have faith. So, so what is he really talking about? When we look at the words that are used here, why are you so afraid? And then in verse 41, and they were filled with great fear. The thing that's interesting to me about this is that there's two different words used here for afraid and fear that are unrelated. Uh, The word we see for fear, that they were filled with great fear, um, this is a a word in the Greek, it's phobeo, and this is where we get the word phobia today. And phobeo can be used at times to describe uh, a fear of God in a reverential way, that we understand how big, how powerful, who our God really is. And because we understand that, it makes us just a little bit nervous. Um, This is why when the angel of the Lord would show up, he would say, fear not. Hey, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Why? Because in our nature, we recoil from a holy, righteous God we step back just a little bit. There's something in us that goes, you need to get away from this situation. And this is phobeo. Phobeo is this, it can be a terrifying fear, this fear that says you need to run away right now. Get out of this situation. And this is commonly how it's used to describe a fear like that. I used to watch... scary movies sometimes with my cousins because they would be like, hey, we're going to see uh, Friday the 13th, part 12. You wanna go with me? Yeah, you're not too scared, are you? And I'd be like, no, I watch movies like that all the time. And then I'd have nightmares for like a month after that. <laughs> so I would go once in a while with my cousins because I thought it was cool. Um, but but the thing that was interesting about these movies is um, it's amazing how every major villain seems to be wearing some sort of coveralls. like. They work in a shop somewhere. Like all, this is this a trend among, you know, psychotic murderers that they all happen to work at a, you know, a, like some sort of some sort of tire shop or you know machine shop somewhere? Um, they're all wearing coveralls. They all wear some sort of mask, like this, and they all have some sort of cutting implement, right? Like this big cleaver or a a meat hook, or a machete, or something that they're carrying, and it seems like none of them can move quickly. Like, they're all slow moving, and not only are they slow, but maybe, maybe they've had some sort of issue with their leg, because they kind of drag it behind them. It's like they laid on it wrong in bed, and they got out, and they're like, ah, 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 like, oh man, ah. So, they kind of drag it behind them when they walk. And so in these movies, you got this girl, and you know this, this fair-faced you know, 18, 20-year-old girl, and uh, like she comes into contact with this, this crazy you know, you know, coveralls, mask, meat cleaver, dragging his leg, and she runs away. And she might be the greatest distance runner who ever lived. She might be running world record two-mile runs, right? And she runs, and she's out, gone. Sorry I spit on you on the front row. It's like a Gallagher concert. We'll put plastic on the front row. (laughs) They're running away, right? This is fobeo. You run away from this dangerous person. And what happens is she runs away. And she looks back and he's in the distance. She's running even further. I mean, he's gone, right? She is so far. She trips over a log and she looks back. He's still not there. She's like, woo, thank goodness. She stands up and there he is. It's like, right? (laughs) I don't know how he got there so quickly, when he's got this lame leg, he's dragging behind him. (laughs) And sometimes in the movies, they'll, instead of running away, they'll run in a house, like into an enclosed space, and they'll go hide in a closet. It was like, you just signed your death sentence, lady. Like, you are so dead. So I just want you to know, if you're ever in a horror movie, don't go hide in the closet. Run away. It would be so much better if she would run, but maybe take a break once in a while and just keep an eye on him where he's at. you know, or walk quickly ahead of him to make sure she could, you know, keep an eye on him. But this is phobeo, it's run away kind of fear, right? And it's interesting because phobeo is what the disciples encountered when they're in the boat and Jesus calms the waves and the storm and they've seen the miracles, they've seen him work and in this moment they go, we have had no idea who we were really dealing with. This guy's been healing people but he speaks to the wind and the waves. And there's this feeling in them like, maybe we should step back just a little bit. There's a new reverence for who he was. There was a little bit of fear about the kind of power he wielded. See, phobeo is the adrenaline rush. It's the fight or flight that you might hear about. But this isn't what Jesus questioned. When Jesus said, why are you so afraid? He said, why are you so delos? Why are you so afraid? And the word is timid. Or it can mean fearful of losses or fearful of losing, causing someone to be cowardly. And so Jesus asked this question, why are you so afraid of losing your lives? And this feels like a dumb question, doesn't it? Because we don't wanna die, Jesus. He says, why are you so afraid of losing your lives? Have you no faith? And the implication is, if you had faith, if you had real faith, you wouldn't be afraid of dying. If you had real faith, you wouldn't have this Delos fear of losing your life because you would understand what your life really is and what it's really worth. And you would understand that in the moment, in the now, you're concerned about losing your life. But if you could see eternity the way I see eternity, you wouldn't worry about this. See, Delos is used three times in Scripture. It's used in Matthew 8, which we referenced. It's the same story from the Gospel of Matthew. Mark 4, which we're talking about here. And it's also used in Revelation 21. It's used in Revelation 21.8. And I want to read this to you. It says, but as for the cowardly, the delos, as for the delos, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, for the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And you go, wait a second, murderers I get, idolaters, sorcerers, I get all that, right? But people that are afraid, that doesn't feel fair. Let me help you understand this. We talked about this a little bit last week when Jesus asked the question, do you love me? And this this understanding that Jesus has to be our supreme love above all else, including your family and friends and your spouse and your children, that Jesus must be my supreme affection all over all others, period. And what we see here is this understanding that if my delos, if my fear of losing stuff is greater than my, my affection for Christ, then my... Priorities are out of whack. They're misaligned. So, what happens is we have a fear of losing things that keeps us from doing what God is asking us to do. We have an experience with God, and we go, man, I need to share my faith with my coworkers. But man, what are they gonna say? They're gonna, they're gonna think I'm a crazy person if I if I go tell them about God. I'm not, I can't do that. I'm afraid of losing my reputation. What if, what if my classmates know that I've experienced Jesus at FCA or that I experienced Jesus at church and I start telling them about the faith that I've encountered? What if I do, man, then what is that going to do to my reputation? What are people going to think about me? Well, I know they talk about trusting God with their finances, but man, I can't put anything in the offering box. If I do, it's going to cost me something. What if I don't have enough? What if I lose what I've got? I can't quit my job and go into vocational ministry. Man, I've got a house payment. I got, I got, I've got a new car that I'm paying for. I've got all this stuff, and I can't, I can't be obedient to do what God's asked me to do and do that. I can't go on the mission field and do I've got a life here. And what we're saying is I'm afraid of losing what I've got, so I can't be obedient to what God wants me to do. Jesus is asking, why are you so afraid? Why are you so delos? Why are you so afraid of losing what you've got? Don't you have faith by now? And what he's saying is, hey, don't, can't you see things the way I see them just a little bit? Don't you see that there's more than just right now to live for? Don't you know that there's a world that's eternal, but yet you're living for this world that's temporal? And Jesus actually said in Luke chapter 17, verse 33, whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. And Jesus is great at this upside-down theology that doesn't really make sense for us. But what Jesus is saying is, if you live your life with a fear of losing your stuff, you cannot inherit eternal life, period. You will miss your kingdom potential, your eternal potential, if you live with this delos. You'll never experience faith the way God wants us to experience if we live with this delos, this fear of losing something. Then he says, but if you give up your life for my sake, you have eternal life. If we say, you know what, God, I'm going to live open-handedly with everything I've got. With, with my vocation. I'm gonna live open-handedly with my, my family. I'm gonna live open-handedly with my finances. Everything I am, everything I have is yours, God. God, even if you take my life, I'm not afraid of losing it for you. I'll give it to you. For me as a parent, I've, I've mentioned this before. There's very little in this world that I love my daughters. Today is peanut butter oil swirl at the meadows, though. <laughs> it's like daughters, peanut butter oil swirl. <laughs> There's very little in this world I love more than my daughters. And as a, as, a, as a father, to think that one of my girls might go overseas, go serve as a missionary. Dad and he goes, Delos, no, no, no. No, 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 no. What if I lose her? What if I don't, right? But the, the pastor in me goes, yes. Because it's not about this moment, it's about eternity. It's about so much more than what I see and feel, what's right in front of me. It's about eternity. It's about the kingdom of God. And if there's kingdom potential on your life and we sacrifice that for the now, we sacrifice that because I'm scared of losing something, then we are missing out on what God wants for us. And the world is missing out on the kingdom potential within us. See, so many times we forfeit the eternal for the now because we're afraid of what we'll lose. Jim Elliott, 19, I believe it was in 1956, he was martyred when he went to Ecuador to evangelize a group of uh, a tribe there that had never been reached with the gospel. And after he was killed, uh, Life magazine ran a 10 page spread on Jim Elliott, talking about his life and celebrating him and what he had done. And Jim Elliott said this before his passing He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And for so many of us, we hold on so tightly to what we can't keep and we forfeit what we can never lose. What I'm telling you today is let's not worry about the losses in the short term. Let's look at the eternal impact. Um, There's a writer and a theologian that I love. His name's G.K. Chesterton. And Chesterton is fantastic. I love his writing. Some of his writing I have to read a couple times to understand it uh, because he, his language is a little different. He's so deep. And there's a, a passage from a book he wrote called Orthodoxy that I want to share with you today in regards to courage. And he says this. Courage is almost a contradiction in terms. It means a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. He that will lose his life, the same shall save it, is not a piece of mysticism for saints and heroes. It is a piece of everyday advice for sailors and mountaineers. It might be printed in an alpine guide or drill book. The paradox is the whole principle of courage, even of quite earthly or quite brutal courage. A man cut off by the sea may save his life if he will risk it on the precipice. He can only get away from death by continually stepping within an inch of it. A soldier surrounded by enemies, if he is to cut himself out, needs to combine a strong desire for living with a strange carelessness about dying. He must not merely cling to life, for then he will be a coward and will not escape. He must not merely wait for death, for then it will be suicide and will not escape. He must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. He must desire his life, or desire life like water, yet drink death like wine. I love the line where he says, he must seek his life in a spirit of furious indifference to it. And I guess that's my prayer for for me and that's my prayer for you. God, help us seek life in the spirit of, of furious indifference to it. God, help us to realize that this world that we live in is temporal, that this world, although it has value, doesn't have eternal value. Help us to focus on the things that really count are really important. God, help us have a faith that doesn't just say save me from my situation, but help me have a faith that helps me see perspective and see what really matters. God, help me not be so afraid of what I'll lose that I forfeit eternal opportunities and kingdom potential. That's my prayer. Not just for you, but for me. The sermon wasn't just for you today, by the way. This was for me. I didn't say this earlier. I don't think I might have, but originally I intended to push this message off, but I felt so strongly I needed to share this with you guys today. So if you're here today and you're struggling with fear, you're afraid of losing your future, you're afraid of losing your health, you're afraid of losing your marriage, you're afraid of losing your your finances, you're afraid of losing your prestige, whatever it is, I want to encourage you. God's not here to judge you or squash you. God is here to restore you and redeem you and help you see that there is a better way, that you don't have to live a life that's dominated by fear. He wants you to place your faith squarely in him, to trust him with your future. He wants you to see beyond this moment, beyond the situation, that there is a future and a hope that he has for you. Maybe you're here today and you're not walking with Christ. You're not in a relationship with him. I want you to know you're in the right place because today is your day. I want to introduce you to him. I want you to walk in relationship with him. I want you to surrender it all to him today. And some of you, you're experiencing this. You feel the Holy Spirit drawing you even right now. Maybe your heart's beating a little faster. You feel a little nervous. I'm telling you, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to Christ today. So I'm gonna give you that opportunity in just a moment. Book of Romans says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So in just a moment, I wanna pray a prayer with you. Everybody in the room is gonna say it together. We're gonna to confess with our mouth, but I want you to believe it in your heart and believe that Jesus is Lord, that God raised him from the dead, and he is enough for you not just to save you from this circumstance, but to give you a future and a hope. So if you would, bow your head and close your eyes all over this room. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for inviting us into intimate relationship with you where we can know you not just as a savior, not just someone who can save us from our problems, but where as a savior that we can know intimately and personally. God, I pray right now that you would crush fear in this place that there i believe there are people that are have walked in this building today there are people that are listening online that are watching online they've been dominated by fear and in the name of jesus we tear that stronghold down fear does not have a place in the children of god in the sons and daughters of god so from this day forward we cast fear out we're not going to walk in it anymore we're not going to walk in agreement with it anymore so God, I pray you'd minister in our hearts, God, you would help us not befriend fear any longer. But God, I pray that you help us walk in boldness in confidence in the faith, knowing that you are God, that you are good, and that we are your sons and daughters. God, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that aren't in a relationship with you, that have never made you Lord of their life, that have never confessed you as Lord. Let today be the day that they invite you in. And everything changes. No, with your head bowed and your eyes closed and nobody's looking around, I just want to ask if you're here today and you'd say to me, Mel, I'm not really walking with God, I'm not serving him, but I know I need to be. I feel like the Holy Spirit is drawing me. I don't even know what it is. I can't explain it, but I feel like today is my day. I want to make Jesus Lord of my life. I want to accept him and the price he paid to pay my debt of sin. So if you're here today and that's you, would... Uh, would you be bold enough to just slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. If you'd say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank you. I see you in the center section, a couple of hands. My right? Yeah, two hands. Thank you. Who else? Say, Mel, pray for me. Yeah, thank you. I see you on my left. Praise God. Yeah, up in the balcony. Awesome. Awesome. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Anyone else want to join these and say, Mel, pray for me? I want to be included in that prayer to make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, thank you on my left. I see you. You can put your hand down, ma'am. Awesome. I want every person in this place to pray this prayer with me out loud. Again, we say it with our mouth, but we don't just recite it with our mouth, with our mind. We pray it from our heart, from the core of who we are. So pray this with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving your Son, Jesus Christ, to pay the price for my sins on the cross. From now on, I am yours. Use my life for your glory. I turn away from my old life. And from now on, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, Listen, if you prayed that prayer with us today, scripture tells us that you're a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come. And we wanna help you take the next step in your faith journey. Um, Because this is the thing, um, salvation, Paul says, he told the church, don't make it difficult for unbelievers to come to salvation. And so we believe that coming to faith in Christ is simple because he's made it simple. But the truth is there are some things that are gonna have to shift in our lives and you don't do it in your own strength, you do it because God is working in you. And so we wanna help make that happen, we wanna help facilitate that. And so we wanna help you grow in your faith. So if you prayed that prayer with us today and you meant it, um, do me a favor. Help us help you by taking the card out of the seat back in front of you. And on one side it says need prayer and the other side it says salvation. If you fill out the side of the card that says salvation, take it to our information center. Give it to them. They're going to give you a new Bible. And in a couple days, you're going to get an email or a letter from me that's going to give you some more opportunities and tell you about some things that are coming up, including baptisms, starting point, just some different things that you can use to grow in your faith. So please take advantage of that. Let us help you with that. If you're watching online today and you pray that prayer with us, no matter where you are, we're so excited for you. We would love for you to respond as well. And you can simply text the word SALVATION to the number 555-888. When you do that, we're going to respond back to you, and we're going to help you take the next step as well. No matter where you are in the United States or even the world, we're going to help you find a life-giving church in your area that you can connect with and begin to grow in your faith. So thank you for worshiping with us today at Summit Church. We really do appreciate it. Here's what's going to happen now. I want to pray a final prayer over you before dismissed. And in just a moment, we're dismissed. Um, if you feel like God is through with you, then uh, feel free to exit the auditorium. But please do so reverently because I'm going to invite those of you that would like prayer to come forward. Because while I'm praying, our prayer team is going to join us here at the front of this room and by the stage. And, uh, and if you would like prayer for any reason at all, when I say amen and we're dismissed, Make your way forward and find one of our team members. Let them pray with you. If you would just like to sit in the room in the presence of God, meditate on maybe what the Holy Spirit has spoken to you today, feel free to do that. If you wanna come forward and just kneel at one of these steps and pray, you can do that as well. Uh, We just wanna create an atmosphere where you can connect with God over these next few minutes. So again, thank you so much for being here and worshiping with us today. We really do appreciate it. It was an honor for us to have you. Let me pray a final prayer while our prayer team comes. God, thank you so much for your incredible love for us thank you that you invite us in to a faith that we don't even understand a faith that is bigger than us just asking you to save us but a faith that helps us see your plans and your purposes for us and for this world so God I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied just going to heaven but God I pray that we would endeavor to live lives that are free of fear that we're not worried about what we may lose because we see the kingdom at work so God I pray that that fear would be stripped off of every one of us as we leave this place today. That God, we would be free of fear as we go into our workplaces on Monday morning, as we go into our classes on Monday morning, as we go to our neighborhoods in our homes. God, I pray that we would be people of faith in you. That God, it's not about us, it's not about our works, but it's about you and what you're doing. So God, let us partner with that so that we can see you do incredible things through us as your sons and daughters. So God, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you that you invite us into it. Be glorified through us. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Amen. Guys, I love you more than you know and I'm so glad I get to be your pastor. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.